Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. Celtic State of Mind. My name is Brian Deglin, um, and today I'm filling in for Declan, who is in Italy by all accounts. Now, I'm not sure he's signing for Atlanta, um, same as by Giacomakis, but he is there, so I'm sure if there's anything going on, Deck will tell us next week when he's back. Um, but Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet, but if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. You might be disappointed Dex's not here, but I'm delighted that Lawrence, Liam and James are here. Lawrence, how are you, mate? Going okay? Yeah, going well, mate. You know, another three points in the weekend, another game ticked off, another interesting application of Vargos in the weekend, or a few interesting applications. Another interesting thing indeed. Lawrence, that's Nothing changes in Scottish football, eh? Aye, aye, it's, it's all changed. Brand the new start. Another guy who's who's never shy of an opinion is our man from Japan, Liam. It's an absolute pleasure, mate. But I have to ask you to explain that talk for some of the viewers who need to cut a collect or their laptops. Right, it's it's the current uh, South Korea home shot, which is actually red, but for some reason my camera's showing it up as orange. I can assure you it's not all for orange, okay? Let's just let's just put that one to bed right away. Yeah, I think uh, I've um, some of the comments coming in advance, Liam. Aye, aye. Well, you know, I'm ready for it. I tell you, I had a I had a fun time on Sunday. I played played a, as a goalkeeper for the first time in about three years. Um, we had our uh, city um, 
sort of a culture festival this weekend and I did a beat the goalie contest and I had about 400 shots rattled at me over the course of like three or four hours. So that was uh, that was fun. That sounds fun. Last but by no means least, we've got the, the youth division, but in no means the B squad. We've got young James McKenzie there. How are you, James? You doing well? Yeah, I'm doing good. We've got a transfer deadline day special, but for the first time in ages, it's going to be a quiet deadline day at Celtic by all I means, apart from perhaps Giacomacca's leaving. But as Lawrence mentioned, I had a lot to cover from the weekend. Correct, a lot to cover. So we'll just uh, do a quick roundtable of thoughts for the weekend before we move on. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about, not just deadline day, but um, the Mr Martindale's comments around Celtic, sort of echoing a good friend of his views, um, some transfer deadline day stuff. Um and a few other bits and pieces. So we'll start with you then, James. First of all, what was your, your overall thoughts of the weekend? I thought it wasn't the most sort of gold standard performance that we've got used to under Ange, but I've said quite a few times in the podcast recently, at this point in the season, it's just about getting the job done. A 2 0 win at Tandice and three points. I'm sure we all would attain that before the game. It wasn't the most vintage performance, but we'd done what we had to do, and that's just what we need to do for this second half of the season. Uh, we mentioned there are a couple of controversial VAR decisions. The penalty I'm still on the fence about, the Kyogo incident, but I'm sure we'll have a lot more sterner opinions here in the podcast. Sterner opinions is always what we want. Um, in terms of the, the game, what I thought was interesting about the game was it felt like a really strong defensive performance. No, it doesn't mean we were sitting in and soaking up pressure, but we just contained Dundee United. They couldn't really, they couldn't really have any sort of threat. It looked such a control performance. Liam, what was your take on that? Aye, I think controlled is a, is a very good way to describe it, Brian. We, 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 you know, saw the game out, did what we had to do. Um, not too flashy, but still moments of class where where they were needed. And uh, once again, despite the referee's best efforts and the blatant misuse of VAR, we still managed to come away with the three points. Yeah, and that's, as James said, that's kind of ideal. Lawrence, we're going to come to you, but just before, on the, the sort of, the penalty incidents, so, the first incident with the keeper coming in, Kyogo, at first I thought it was a penalty, but I could see why it wasn't given. Like, if Joe Hart had done that, I could have been arguing, saying, oh, it's never a penalty. The second, the handball was a blatant penalty. What frustrated me the most, irrespective of the penalty decisions, was the fact that he, he blew decisively for one and then overturned it and then didn't see a really blatant one. And it's just, it just seems, and it took so long to get it done. I mean, you mentioned VAR, I know you're dying to talk about it. Give me some of your thoughts, Lawrence. Well, you, you missed out the third penalty decision, you know, Kyogo getting pulled back. Oh, yes, of course. You know, so, listen, for me, the first contact is his left hand to Kyogo's head. What's his left hand going up to do? And I think he's going up to hit Kyogo. Yeah, his right hand eventually touches the ball, but what why is his left hand up there? You know, the, the Dundee United defenders pushing Kyogo into the keeper. He's savaged. You could have given a penalty for any any three reasons. You know, really, he's, he's going to wipe out uh, Kyogo. And people are saying, you know, that's what you want your keeper to do. You might do, but you're going to give a penalty if, if, if he's going to get and wipe somebody out. Or you should. It's reviewed. Why he's overturned it, I don't know. It's probably the biggest frustration with, with refs in this country. There's no accountability or transparency. Explain your decision. This is why I thought it was a penalty. This is why it isn't. It should be pretty easy because you know those two things. You just, for some reason, we don't share them. The other one he's missed, it's poor that he's missed it, but, you know, far's worked as it's done, it's a clear and obvious error. He's missed it. What, why he's decided he's, it's not a yellow card? You know, when you look back at things, Burnaby and Riley get yellow carded for it. And I know there's referee's discretion on a yellow card in the box, depending on, you know, the severity of the, the yellow card. And the local pool, why I haven't called that back, you know, he's pulled over in the box. Why the VAR team haven't uh, alerted the ref? Who knows? Well, I think we know, but, you know, it's just so blatant now. The other game, you know, it's 10 games in a row where Mickey Beale has had a VAR decision or multiple decisions go for him in games, either not being referred to the VAR or a VAR being used to uh, guarantee points. 
and keep a title race, race going. What a lucky manager. Decisions oh, are he's, he's a lucky guy, yeah. Well, you know, if it was a coin toss, you know, what is it? Ten heads in a row is something like 2,040-61 to happen. Now that's, you know, he's got ten heads in a row. You know, it's... Yeah, One of your commenters are coming in here, Lawrence, um, AJSC Tech. Um, for me, both penalties were called correct, so I feel VAR is helping the Scottish game now. Um, Liam, I'm sure you've had a bit of VAR experience in Japan. Who's your mm. take? Is it helping the Scottish game now? Is AJSC Tech right, or are you more in line with, with Lawrence's view that it's, it's a bit of a shambles at this stage? To be honest, I kind of fall between the two because I think VAR is fine. It's the people using it that are the problem. Um, there is the technology works absolutely fine. I mean, in the J League, it has been used for a couple of years now, no problems. Um, and you don't have this ridiculous five minute wait so you can figure out how you're going to give Rangers a penalty. You know, <laughs> um, it's like. It's just, it, like, like, like Lauren said, it's so blatant now and it's being shown up for just how blatant it is. And as I've said before, and I keep repeating myself, but I'll say it again, I use the analogy of the, the, the teenager that's got told to go and wash the dishes and deliberately makes such an arse of it that his mum says, forget it, I'll date myself. That is what Scottish referees in VAR now. It is... Uh, it's just, you know, they're deliberately, deliberately making stupid errors week after week so that fans like us are going to get tired and demand that it gets rolled back and then any sense of accountability just goes out the window and they can go back to doing what they've always done, which is favour one team over all the others. But, but Lee, it has moved on as we no longer have to put up with, oh, it's all these mistakes now. Oh, it's the heat of the moment. You know, that's, that's the way. We no longer get told it's all his mistakes. So, so what does it leave? Mm, that's that's it. That's the um, problem. Therein lies the question. It's funny, um, going to come to you, James, obviously, um, young journalist, and you've been at a few pressers and stuff, and one of the things that I think is really important to highlight, so we spoke with VR a lot, and like the way we speak about rest, we just want consistency. One of the things, and I remember he was asked a couple of times about VR, and he just said, they're no interested in talking about it, kind of bought in about it. And obviously, since he has spoken about it a couple of times, but and you can correct me if I'm wrong, James. But from my understanding, Ange hasn't complained about decisions. He's complained about the amount of time it's taken. Like I don't think he cares either way if he gets a decision or not. I think it's just the, the lack of consistency and the frustration. And I think he also said that in Australia, it's been used for years with no problem. Which which your take? Who's been your guide for the pressers and stuff? Well, I've not, I've not been able to get along to many of the games this season, but I'd have to really agree with Ange because I, I, I was at a game with my dad a few weeks ago, I think it was the St Mirren game, and the length of time that it takes to come to these decisions, and 90% of the time, it's the most obvious of decisions. Like, I don't get how it takes long to do an offside call. You're either offside or you're not. And there's no sort of opinions about it. It's just facts. And Ange, um, he's taken it to the highest level. Celtic have. We've went to the SFA about VR. I'm not too sure if that was on the time it's taken or the actual sort of handball decisions that have plagued us these sort of last few weeks, these last few months. But the fact that Celtic have went to the highest level, we've went to the SFA and we've complained and we've not seen any improvements. So decisions all across the board, it's not just Celtic games as well. It's not just paranoia from Celtic. And the fact that We've complained at the highest level and there's not been any sort of improvement. You just got to wonder where the improvement comes from. It's a rushed technology and yeah, Andrew's got every right to complain about it. He's just lucky that it hasn't had a negative effect on his team where it has dropped us points yet. Well, see, the interesting thing about that is I agree with you, I think you're spot on, but about the, the effect on the team, Lauren, it's going to come to you. The way we play football fast moving, always throwing the ball in quickly, you know, quick rotation, stuff like that. When we have such a long break for these decisions, do you think it disrupts us? I mean, I know everything it's suggested doesn't because we've been winning, but it's going to be really frustrating if you're playing in that team and you just want to keep going. Well, it definitely disrupts us. And, and, and players of other teams are saying that, you know, it's good for them to get a breather. It's good for them to get that. And sometimes it's like four or five minutes. But Which isn't adding a lot of time either. But when we watch other games, bad decisions are made a lot quicker than they say be made in Celtic games, and you're going to go, 
you know, you know what is it? It's a clear obvious error you're using it for. If it's that clear and obvious, why does it take four or five minutes to get to the... Was it no clear and obvious then? <laughs> you, you, you know, it's like... I. After five minutes, it's really clear and obvious. Well, I think the definition it wasn't clear or obvious to begin with, and it shouldn't have been getting used. But going to the highest level, you know, you, going to the SFA or SPFL, you know, that's an organisation whose head of refs get dismissed because he's biased, whose referees went straight because they lied to us. President of SFA lost his job and get a, what was that, £300,000 payoff, and we only get two hundred and fifty compensation because he cheated Celtic. I'm not too sure that's the kind of people that are going to be fair to Celtic. Now, you can look at, what, there's 40 professional clubs. No other club has went through that with these organisations. And I think it's kind of mad to expect fairness from them. I think they should be going to UEFA and FIFA because we've got proof that this organisation is inherently biased against us. If you want to take it wide on society, if you look at kind of, you know, racially aggravated crimes or sectarianism, whatever they call it. You know, people of Irish Catholic descent are, are more likely to suffer from that. Why would that not be yeah. you, you know, if that's true for that, that part of that, you know, Scottish society, why is it not true for this part? And especially when you've got the proof of it, I think Peter Martin said on, on his thing, he says, you can't say it's paranoid, you've got proof of it. Why had to resign? Hugh Dallas had to go, the next one is straight. You know, there's numerous cases where it's been proven. So, there's other cases where we just haven't had answers. So where does it go? And I don't think it's the SFA. You need to go to UEFA and say, look, these, are, these guys don't know what fair is. Liam, what's your, what's your take on it? I mean, where do we go next for here? Because it feels like, you know, there's always this conversation about a set of paranoid, but as long as it mm. says, there's plenty of evidence to suggest that there's been an imbalance over the years. Is this, no. is this new, like, the VER issues we're facing? Is this part of that? Is this something we're just going to have to learn to overcome? Or is it time to take a stand and as long as it's go to UEFA? What do you see happening? Well, uh, one thing I would say just before I get into that that point, something that I know uh, dawned on me the other day, right? I get the the G-League games on the telly here, and I, obviously I watch every Celtic game. So if you balance the two, I probably watch as much G-League football as I do SPL football, because I don't really bother with any teams apart from Celtic, right? So I'm watching couple of hours of each league a week on average i could not name one japanese referee if you asked me to right and yet i know the names of about a dozen scottish referees now taking bias taking perceptions of paranoia taking evidence of corruption bigotry whatever out of it why is it that I know all these people's names and yet I don't know any of their counterparts in Japan? Is it because their counterparts in Japan realise that the players are the centre of attention and not them? You know, is it because they, as soon as they get a shout in the rear, they think, well, there's something needs to be looked at, I'll go and look at it, and they go and look at it right away. There's none of this, what do you think, aye, all right, okay, and they spend five minutes having a blather. No other league I've seen does that. Every other league that I have seen that uses VAR consistently, it's ref gets a shout, all right, there's something we're not sure about there, I'll go and have a look. And it's within 30 seconds of getting the shout, he's at the wee telly on the side of the pitch, and a minute or so later, you get the decision. Maximum two minutes. Whereas in Scotland, it can sometimes take three or four minutes before they even go to the camera. And that is just unacceptable. The technology is there, but the people to use it are a combination, I think, of biased, incompetent, and at the end of the day, just arrogant. They just don't like the idea that they might be wrong. And that is what seems to be the overriding thing above all else, is they just don't like having their authority questioned by anybody. Because, again, it's part of that wider societal problem that Lawrence has just spoken to, where this group of people think they are beyond reproach, that they are above everybody else. And unfortunately, the SFA and the people who run Scottish football and some of the people who run wider Scottish society play into that by pandering to these people at every opportunity. But that's me had my wee rant. I'll... Well, it was a, a well-earned and, and well-proportioned one, so thanks very much for that. 
James, you've got a, a wee rest, uh, and we're going to come and we're going to brighten up a wee bit. But before we even talk about football, we have to also talk about something outside of the football bubble to an extent. We know that um, Mr. Beale across the city has made comments about being lucky and about drawing attention to Celtic's finances, and apparently now so is David Martindale. Um, did you see David Martindale's comments, and what did you think of them? I haven't seen them, but from what you're saying, I'm assuming they're about finances in a similar vein to the lucky man sort of quote that we've all grown very accustomed to. But um, I don't buy into that at all. Celtic's finances were generated by the players that we developed at our club and the top tier talent and the players that we sold on for high fees. Just because Celtic don't let our players go with six months on their contract to go for free in the summer and get no money for our prized assets doesn't mean that we're lucky. Celtic are just smart at the transfer window. We've seen it again this window. We've seen it every window that Andrew's been at Celtic. Celtic works smart in the transfer window. It's not luck. I'm pretty sure with the sales of Juranovic and Yakimakis, I think our net spend will still be positive as well since Ange took over at Celtic because of the talent that we've shipped off so this sort of lucky man financial there's always going to be a financial gulf in Scottish football I get that but it's the players that we've sold we made this money I think you're right I think the thing I always remember is yeah there's a financial gulf in Scottish football but there's a financial gulf in football anywhere and I've never known you know football to be you know budgets to guarantee success necessarily we've spent badly in the past we spent well recently I think I, I should be corrected in the figures, but I think even before we sold Yakimakis and Juranovic, I think we were still like plus 2.6 million compared to the players we've let out and brung in since Andrew's been there. So that's just smart business. Um, Liam, the other thing about budgets as well is just because you can buy players, you need to buy the right players in the right system. I've yet to hear Ange moaning about other teams' budgets and we played Real Madrid. We played Leipzig. I don't, I don't didn't hear any morning then. Is it just the excuse making now at this stage? And how much of a factor do you think budgets play in? This is another thing which seems to be, if not unique to Scotland, and certainly played up a lot more in Scotland than it is anywhere else. Um, you know, you never hear, for example, in Spain, you never hear Valencia or Real Betis saying, look, it's no fair, Real Madrid have got like, so many superstars and we haven't. They're a bigger club. They can afford bigger players. That's the nature of football. Celtic are the biggest club in Scotland, therefore we are going to have the biggest player budget. That's just the way football works. Now, you can argue for and against the merits of that, and should we have like a draft system like they do in the US? You know, that's another debate. But at the at the current time, the way European football is structured, Celtic are the biggest club in this country. So they're going to be the biggest spenders. And again, like you say, it's about how you spend that money well. Because if you look at England, for example, look at the money that teams like Spurs, Newcastle, um, uh, historically teams like, uh, you know... Um, Chelsea threw around and how much did they actually win as a result you know Chelsea were nothing until they became a billionaire's plaything right whereas Celtic have historically always been a big club and so we've always had that little bit of extra financial kick you know even in, even when the club was you know at, in its darkest days in the mid 90s we were still pulling in 35,000, every game, which is, gonna, which is more than, you know, almost any other club in Britain. You, you've only got maybe five or six clubs in Britain that can consistently hit that level, whether they're winning or losing, you know? Um, so I really don't, I don't get the, the financial argument at all. It's a non-argument. And I'm disappointed in Davy Martindale because, to be honest, he's a guy who, up until recently, I've had quite a bit of admiration for he's a good example of someone who makes a few bad decisions in their life but manages to turn it around through hard work, graft and strength of character. Um, 
But ever since he was originally linked to the Rangers job and didn't get it, he's been on this kind of a, oh, please notice me, I'm the ultimate Rangers fan kind of thing. And it really is quite pathetic, really, and it's it's beneath a guy of his intelligence, you know. Yeah, I've got to a, a great extent as well. Like, I think I think he's done a really good job. But, Lawrence, this is where I find it interesting because if I was Livingston manager and I'd overperformed on a small budget, that's what I'd be talking about. It's all about look at the job I've done, look at how well I've done with such a small budget, not were they only better because they're richer. Because that doesn't seem to ring true. If you look at the lead table over the years, budgets don't really dictate it, you know, especially in other leagues, but even in Scotland. What's your take? Is it just, should, you know, managers are team like Livingston and elsewhere, but just focusing on their own stuff and promoting that, as opposed to looking for excuses before a game? Mate, it's just another 80-minute league comment, you know. You didn't it across the side, maybe, oh, if games only lasted 80 minutes. Aye, and if we played 14 players instead of 11... He's entitled to his opinion, he's doing a good job there. And, you know, budgets do have an effect on how successful you are. You know, they're, not, they're not the only... Only thing, yeah, yeah. you know, I think back late 19th, early 20th century, up to that point, we used to share the, the gate money, didn't we? Regardless of your home or away with clubs, you know, maybe they'd bring something like that in again, who knows? But uh, it's nothing he's going to change be, be sitting there moaning about it. He's, Livingston's suddenly only going to have 60,000 season ticket holders and <laughs> more than Kim and Celtic. You know, the reality is he's doing a decent job with them, you know, but I think I'm just doing a more than decent job in comparison, you know, with. They be the points per pound champion of the league. I don't know, mate. Just make them the champions of Europe. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> it's a nonsense argument. It's like, you know what? Celtic are well deserved top of the league, you'd be as well acknowledging that and, you know, and seeing how well he's done himself. And I, I don't see well kind of spin the press if put, put on it on and listen to his full press, press conference because there may be a, a spin from the press in there. But, Maybe he's trying to take a wee bit of pressure off his player, trying some mind games, but listen, I don't I think Ange is maybe of the, the opinion, you know, Eagles don't fight with Sparrows, so I don't think he'll be, be drawn in a world of words Eagles don't fight with Sparrows, absolute top draw, Lawrence Conley, what a quote for the day, I love that, I'm going to use that. Um, speaking of quotes, we've got CGMC coming in, Celtic have money because of their supporter base, that's to your point as well, Lawrence, uh, money doesn't bring success, to your point, Liam, it's the manager who brings success, Um and I'll stay with you for the now, Lawrence. Ange is, you know, we've watched a lot of club's performances, we've watched a lot about him as a man. Um, we seem to be picking up steam after a, a, a sort of period where we were winning, but maybe it was a bit flat at times. How do you see him approaching Livingston? Same approach as where he'll take. Um, does he take into account Livingston's tactics? Um, how do you see that lining up? Well, Ange just kind of told you, he picks a team, you know, his strategy never changes. His tactics don't change, but he does pick the personnel depending on who he's facing. I expect more of the same, you know, Livingston to sit deep, a few long balls, try and win some free kicks to, you know, about the halfway line to throw some stuff into a box. I don't expect Livy to come out and play football against us, you know, but, you know, Martin's Dale's teams are what they are, and I think we'll have enough to get through it, you know. As James said about this part of the season, it's just ticking the games off, get the three points. Ange will, you know, he's a multiple winner in leagues. He knows that it's the, it's the running you really need to be hitting top four. So we now see me picking up a wee bit of pace again. It was a bit quiet, but, you know, it was three points, three points, three points. And I think with the additions, I think Ayoata looks brilliant. Oh, looked okay, what we've we seen of them. So, yeah, I, I think he's managing his team, you know, he's got them in here. Nine points clear. The games are, are, are starting to count down now, and yeah, I, th- I think we are starting to play a lot better. I think we win our next 10, ten games. You know, it puts a what, a league cup in, in, in the bag. Put you know progress in the Scottish Cup and it almost put us out of touch in, in the league. I think you know you'd be one one uh, game away from winning. So I think it's gets team where you'd want it to be at the end of January. You want it to start giving it their stride and start winning fall. His signings seem to have been good, what we've seen on him, that he's brought in. The people that are leaving, are we really going to miss them? No, I don't think so. You know, Johnson's come in and he's looked okay. Tony Ralston proved everybody along last, uh, last season. So, and the boy all, all looks okay. So, I think it's onwards and upwards under, under Ange. Uh, 
onwards mm-hmm. and upwards. I like that. I think that's absolutely correct. Especially if you look at last season, where we got to this time and then just, just really motored on and he, he spoke kind of consistently about making sure his players improve. And just a, a last note on budget, Big Red went excellent point. So Johnston won a double and what was their budget? That was in the the, the year. Um, Callum Davidson should have got manager of the year. Um, but didn't he? Wonder why. Um, James, so in terms of the game against Livingston, we know Ranch probably won't change his approach. Will he change his team? Do you think he'll, he'll look for more cross into the box? Do you think he'll rejig it a bit? Or do you think we'll see the same team that we started with uh, the other day? Um, I think we'll see something very similar because Livingston are going to set up in a similar way to the way Dundee United set up. Dundee United set up so defensively because the last time we went there, we put nine goals past them. Every shot was going in. And I think Livingston, they've never... I don't think I've watched a Livingston game or the highlights would have been in awe of the football that they play. We know the, the style that they're going to play. We know the way Martin Dale's going to set his team up. And I think we'll see something very similar. Perhaps any changes, maybe Kobayashi or Maeda... I could maybe see coming in, but that's if anything. If there's, it's not more of a prediction, but it's something I would like to see. I'd like to see Sead Haksibanovic in the team. I'd like to see him. I'm not sure if he's had a proper run out since the break, but a game against Livingston, why not give Haksibanovic? I think he's a very good player. Yeah, I'm Kevin inclined to agree with that. Actually, I am. I just. You know, I, I think guys like Mieda is excellent, but I don't know if he's going to be great against such a low block. I think, you know, you know Haxabanovich and Jota would be good, just to have a bit of trickery and obviously Kyogo's movement. Um, this guy we're going to talk about, Aaron Moy, we're going to talk about him in the, the next segment, but um, before we talk about some of the individual players, Liam, what's your thoughts? Would you change things up a bit? Do you think you rotate a bit more? And, and if so, who would you expect to see and who would you like to see? See, I'm actually going to slightly disagree with you there, Brian. I think Maeda would be the guy to bring in for this game because I think that a team like Livingston that are compact and are going to dig in, you want people who are going to run at them and stretch them and tire them. So I think if you've got the interplay with Maeda and Kyogo um, and I think possibly Haksabanovic coming in as well if he's fully fit, um, that would stretch them all over the park. Jota is more about skill and finesse, and I don't know if that's quite how you approach Livingston because you know they're going to be the hammer throwers. They're going to put the boot in at every opportunity. And I think Maeda's maybe a wee bit more robust than, than Jota is in that respect. Um, but I also think it could be a chance for, for Iwata to come in and maybe... Uh, if we wanted to play a slightly more, put a bit more steel into the midfield, um, that could be possible as well. Problem with that being that our man Aaron Moy is effectively undroppable at the moment, so <laughs> I don't know about that. But um, no, I, I think I think certainly the front line could be changed up a wee bit. The back line for me is pretty much set now. As long as everybody's fit, that's going to be the back line for at least the next couple of months. Um, the onus is on Kobayashi to try and displace Starfield. I think there's a there's a possibility there. But, um, you know, it's always going to be Carter Vickers plus one for as long as he's at Celtic. And the question is, is that going to be Kobayashi or Starfield? And we'll find out over the next couple of months. But Johnson's fine at right back. Taylor is the man at left back. You know, I think, yeah, the only questions for me are possibly switching up the midfield a wee bit and maybe switching up the 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 wide players up front to try and stretch Livingston with a bit more pace. That's a really good point. I never thought of it that way. Um, I want to talk about the defence actually just before we move on to predictions. So, um, Lawrence, I'll come to you first. That back four, is that the back four for the rest of the season? Is that our strongest back four? Can you see any reason that Ange might rotate it? What do you think? I think... Taylor and Cam Carter-Vickers are definitely the two that's nailed on for the positions in, in terms of strongest. I think with Starfield, it's, it's probably going to keep it. It's just Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet, but if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. It's the Marketer's Report. 
This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. So that familiarity with both Taylor and Cameron Carter-Vickers that would probably keep Kobayashi out. Although I liked, you know, what I've seen of Kobayashi, it's going to be harder for him to break in there. You know, you've got a set three. Is Johnson going to keep Ralston out? Ralston's coming back to injury. Don't know, you know, sometimes at the weekend there you're thinking, you know, Ralston would get a better ball across. You, you, you know, so I think the right back still is, you know, if Ralston hadn't been injured, I don't think we'd have seen as much as Johnston. So I, I think that jersey's still up for grabs between the two of them. The other three, I think they're, you know, they're guaranteed to play the majority of the games for the rest of the season in those positions. And who's your prediction for tomorrow? As in the, the score of, of, of the lineup, I think it will Taylor. have uh, Taylor. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to put Johnson in and I'm going to put 3-0. Uh, midfield, I'm going to go Moy, McGregor. And I think he's going to start Tumbo against them. I'm not a bit Tumbo's bit as far, but I think we'll start him against them. I'll go Maeda, Abada and Kyogo. Stop, man. All right, James, your prediction and your lineups. And prediction, I'll go... 2-0. I think we're just sort of quietly trundling along. Three points here, three points there. I'm perfectly content if that's how Celtic are going to play the next few months. But as far as team prediction goes, Joe Hart's obviously nailed on. Lawrence raised an interesting point there that Ralph's and I completely forgot about him in contention for that fullback. So I could maybe even see Anthony Ralston coming in at right back. Starfelt and Carter Vickers, you can't separate those. I'll mention it on every single podcast until we eventually do lose a game with those two at centre-back. Domestically, unbeaten with those two there, you don't drop them. Taylor left-back is pretty nailed on. The midfield, I'd have the uh, Moy, McGregor and Rio Hitati. Front three, Abada, Jota, Kyogo, I think. That's probably a fairly solid team to get the job done against Livingston. Liam, young James is happy with a quiet trundle. Are you hoping for, for something more thunderous and a, a different result, or are you along the same lines? I, I would have agreed with that until I read Martin Dale's comments. Now I hope we go out and absolutely pump them. <laughs> um, so I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to say four 0 to Celtic. I think we might put on a wee show, um, and uh, I think the team, like like we've said, Carter Vickers and Starfield are the back two. Um, I think Johnson comes in at right back. I think Taylor, obviously, is a mainstay there now. And Burnaby has not done enough in the few games that he had to try and dislodge that. Um, midfield, uh, I'll go Moy, McGregor and Hatati. But if we're a couple of goals up at half time, I could see O'Reilly and Iwata both getting game time in the second half. Um Front three, I'll go with... Hmm. Right, I'll go with Kyogo through the middle, Maeda left, and Abada on the right. But I think, again, Haksabanovic uh, and Jota will play a part in the second half, assuming that the game is put to bed. Liam, I just want to ask, so before we go into some of the... I want to ask your opinion on some of the new guys we've signed. Um, mm-hmm. You can get some insight, but before that... Just a quick round table. Thoughts on Starfield? Because he has been criticised a fair bit. Um, personally, I've always seen he's a good defender, but I do worry about him in possession. Um, so, just going, Lawrence, you first. Has your thoughts changed on Starfield? Do you still think he's a long-term sort of centre-back first choice next to Carter Vickers? Or do you see Kobayashi taking over? 
I think he suffers from that uh, disease Celtic centre halves see me half in Scotland the amount of pressure they come on for the under from the press and I think there's a section of the sport that jump in that. The amount of hassle that he gets and his performances put in it, I just don't see his performances deserving that amount of this uh, detraction he gets. He's been absolutely solid for us. Sometimes it looks a wee bit uncomfortable. He's right he's not actually right footed, he's playing left centre half. So he's a wee bit slow maybe getting rid of it. But I think it's a bit brilliant for us defensively. Him and Cameron Carter Vickers not lost the game domestically. Can you really say much more than that, can you? You know, when he plays a partnership. So I think it's been great, but it's interesting in Scotland the amount of you know, we've had it with countless centre halves, you know, Mistorovic got it. There's loads of, it just seems to be Celtic centre halves get this absolute pounding from the Scottish press. Don't seem to get across the city, you know. I may have had some really dodgy centre halves that just seem to yeah. Yeah, don't get the same level of scrutiny. And I'm just surprised that the amount of Celtic fans that kind of jump on that Scottish press driven narrative at times. I think Starfield's been cracking for us. It's a bit like James E. Forrest, isn't it? He always gets, I think, a lot of unfair criticism and it he plays into a similar narrative. Danielle, earlier on, regular contributor. Sorry, I missed your comment, Danielle, but she'd mentioned what you said. Carter Vickers and Starfield have lost a, a league game together. Um, James, what is it going to take for, for Starfield to sort of get over this criticism? I say, because I've been a, a party as well. I've said at times where I much prepare him on the right. I think sometimes that there is a mistake in him, but it's hard to argue with, you know, his success rate. Um, what is it going to take? Is it going to take a, an unbelievable performance? Is it going to take an injury to Carter Vickers? What do you think, James? I think he's done enough. If people aren't convinced, then I think there's no convincing. I've been over the Starfelt bomb scare hysteria since play about this time last year. I've always thought since then he was fairly settled. I think some people just have the first and just first league game that game at Tynecastle I think Starfield had only trained with the team the day before I think people just have that ingrained in the back of their mind and they just recall that whatever they think about Carl Starfield I've got no idea how some people still don't rate him considering how imperious he and Carter Vickers are as a partnership and if people aren't convinced now then I don't know what it's going to take really we've seen some good derby performances and some domestic games in Scotland as well, but he's looked sort of fairly solid. So I, I, I really don't get it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's when you, when you analyse stuff out, there is always that slight caveat. But you, you're right. I mean, he's been absolutely spot on. I mean, Carter Vickers have been a tremendous partnership, and you know, it, it's interesting that Carter Vickers never gets moved to the left. So you have to think the staff is maybe that bit more adaptable. So absolutely spot on, Liam. I'd mentioned earlier, so we spoke about current players, and a few current players that have came in. Um, you may be able to tell us a bit about. We've seen a little bit of uh, Kobayashi, but mm. Iwata and O, we've had brief cameos on. What's been your first impressions? And do you have any other sort of background knowledge you could share? Right. Well, first of all, the thing with uh, the thing with Starfield, um is that ultimately, I think in the fullness of time, Kobayashi will prove to be a better player. Um, he has not proven that yet. So at the moment, Starfelt is still the is still that shot. still the main man there. But I think by the end of the season, you'll have Kobayashi making the push to get into the team and to be the regular starter. And I think for Europe next season, we're going to want a naturally left-sided left centre back. Um, and I think from what little I've seen of Kobayashi, he seems to be physically imposing a bit more than Starfelt as well. Um, and as you know, I made the prediction when we signed Kobayashi. I said within a year he will be the uh, one of the twin centre backs uh, for the Japanese national team alongside uh, Koi Takura. And I still think that will be the case. And that's not going to happen unless he becomes Celtic's first pick. So that kind of ties into it. I think we'll run. On, I think we'll run with Starfield until the end of the season. But we will find him being switched out for. Kobayashi, or of course, as, as Danielle just says in the comments there, there is the possibility we might get offered funny money for Carter Vickers because um, he has been one of our star players thus far. So there is that unfortunate possibility to consider as well. Um, uh, Iwata, Player of the Year in Japan. Um, players Player of the Year as well, which I think tells you a lot. Um, uh, and uh, 
pretty much the only guy who's been getting more headlines recently in Japan leading up to him signing for Celtic than Iwata was uh, uh, Mitoma uh, there in England, who has been turned up, scored a beautiful goal the other night. I don't know if you saw that, but he's yeah. he's he's doing really well down there. Um, so yeah, uh, Iwata's being looked at as the kind of a as one of the great big prospects for the for the next few years as well. Um, not quite sure if he will get as much game time as I think Kobayashi will in the fullness of time, but I do think he is going to become a, a mainstay. Um, you know, Callum McGregor has probably the best engine of any Celtic captain I've ever seen, but he cannot keep playing seventy games a year if he's going to if he's going to you know make it to the age of like thirty five, thirty six, like Scott Brown did, and still be playing at the top level. Um, so Iwata is going to get probably 10 to 15 games a season at least just off of the back of that and that's before you factor in any injuries um, the good thing is though that with these new players coming in you know, a striker, a defensive mid a central, a central defender that's the spine of a team right there and none of them are at the moment first picks but they're all players that we could put into those positions with a, a high degree of confidence if we had to. Um, and O is an interesting one because, I'll be honest, I was really disappointed we didn't get Cho Gesung, uh, right? Because I was really kind of fired up for, for him. I thought he looked the part. I picked him out at the World Cup when he scored those two goals against, I think it was uh, Ghana. And I said, this, this guy this guy looks like the real deal. And... Um, you know, I'm saying to my dad, oh, Celtic should make a move for him. And he's like, all right, so now no happen. Then two weeks later, it happened. <laughs> but actually looking at the, looking back at some of the highlights of the K-League from last season and looking at their, their, their respective stats and whatever, over the course of the whole year, just taking the World Cup out of the equation, O was actually the more consistent performer and looked like a better player. Um, so we may actually have, uh, you know, I don't know if I buy into the idea that he's been linked with Celtic since September. I don't know if I, I think that might have just been a wee bit of a platitude towards Celtic because he's obviously delighted to be here. But um, I do think that uh, he might have been our second choice, but I think we may actually have got the better of the two players, as it turned out. Um, and, you know, we only saw him for a few minutes the other day, but he looked pretty comfortable when he came on. So... Um, doesn't look like a 21-year-old fish out of water, that's for sure. So I think, yeah, it's uh, it's looking very promising. And like you say, any major injury now, we have a defender that can step in, we have a midfielder that can step in, and we've got a striker that can step in. That's enough to get us through to the end of the season, no problem. Well, it's funny you should say that because one of the debates has been do we need another striker? Um, mm. And since we're on transfer deadline day, let's talk about some of that stuff. So, Lawrence, what's your take? Would you Are you comfortable with Hugo and O as your two? And then maybe Mieda Abada can really fill that third spot if need be or somebody for the B squad coming up. Do you think that's a scenario or do you think we need a third striker? So, so I think we need a third striker. Whether that's somebody for the B squad, Joey Dawson being the guy that's banging them in and who we're not back uh, alone bid for, or, or someone else, I, I definitely think, yeah, we need a third striker. We, we saw that last year, you know, with Kyogo and Yakimakis both getting injured at the same time. I think it just leaves us too late. Dawson's banged them in, but it is the Lowland League. You know, you, I think we really need to see what he's got at a higher level. Did we not let him go on loan? Because, as I said, you know, a six-month loan down south is better than six months in the B team. Is that because Angie's expecting to use him at some point? Or give him game time up here? Hopefully. You know, because, you, you know, the ideal thing is that you're developing your own players, isn't it? It's not that you're going out and having to spend millions and being really lucky, you know, with players that you bring in because, you know, you've got the money to spend and you don't pay guys crazy wages and let them run down their contracts and stuff. But, yeah, hopefully Joey Dawson can make the, the, the step up. But, yeah, I think we need a third striker. And I'm hoping it could be Joey Dawson. I don't think we're going to buy anyone. You know, I think Anne just confirmed at a press conference today that's us done done in business this window. So even if I wanted somebody else in, it doesn't look like they're coming. So let's let's hope we see Dawson. You know, this is the second part of the season and he gets some minutes. And and just if we we see Joey Dawson isn't he ready to come up, 
just before I go to James, you Lawrence, would you be comfortable with Maeda or Abada filling in if there was a sit injury crisis? Do you think that's a strong enough uh, lead man to, to push us forward to the title? You, you don't have a choice. Is it enough to win the title? Well, it was enough to win it last year when both were injured. So, yeah, it should be enough. We're nine points clear. Uh, you know, you've got James Flores could, could, can tuck in there as well. He's played the striker. So, we've got options. It would be better, you know, if we had more trusted options, I think, or more natural strikers. Yeah. Uh, We'll see what Dawson brings. I'm hoping, you know, we'll see him second part of the season and I'm a comfortable we without any option given that we're not going to bring anyone else in. So a couple of comments coming in. One of the comments was that um, it would be absolutely magical if Cho came in as a last-minute signing. It would mm-hmm. certainly be better than John Kenny of a few years ago, so here's hoping. Um, and Eddie, <coughs> Edward Y comes in. Could be Nesbitt after Hibs' snub latest offer. Um, James, I want to come to you on that. So... First of all, your overall thoughts, if we don't send a third striker, is it a concern? And secondly, do you think Nisbet would come in and be comfortable as a third striker? Do you think he would overlap? Oh, do you think he could challenge Kugel? What would your thoughts be if we were to bring him in? Um, I've always thought that having three strikers for a position where we're only going to be playing one of them would be a bit of overkill. I'd rather, if you're going to have a third striker, a young player like someone in the mould of Joey Dawson, like Lawrence said, but it's overkill until one of them gets injured. And then you've only got one of your top quality strikers left and you're having to turn to place someone out of position or take someone for the B team. So I wouldn't be against getting a third striker, but I don't think we'd have to do it sort of right now. But just on Kevin Nisbet there, I wouldn't mind Celtic getting Kevin Nisbet, to be honest with you. I feel like there's been quite a lot of ignorance to Celtic signing players from other teams in the Scottish League recently. Players like Josh Doig and Aaron Hickey, we all turned our noses up at. They go elsewhere, and then they're getting linked to all these top moves. So I think we just need to take a chance at one of these players, because if he's getting in the positions and getting the goals at Hibs, he's going to get more chances playing in a Celtic shirt with a better service he's going to be getting at a team like Celtic. So why why not have a wee punt on that? Exactly, have a a wee punt indeed. Um, So it's been kind of established, Liam, that Postacoglu, although he has been naughty in the past and, and told us a wee fib on occasion, but he's saying he's not going to bring anybody else in. Is there going to be much movement out? We know Yakimakis is apparently signed for, um, I think it's Atlanta, I don't think he's signing for the Japanese team. Uh, 4.3 mm. million apparently, although nothing's officially official yet. Um, who else do you see going out, if anyone, Liam? Well, the important thing to remember with Yakimakis is that if he doesn't go tonight, don't doesn't mean it's not happening because after today we can't sign anybody, but we can still sell players to both America and Japan because their leagues don't start up for another month or two. So their transfer windows are still open. Um, there's actually there's several places where players could go to. You know, another, po- another possibility is some of the Scandinavian leagues possibly taking some of our players on loan if we want to develop them. Um, I think... For players like Dawson uh, and Lawal, who look good at B team level, but B team level is, with the greatest of respect, you know, just a, a couple of grades above amateur at the moment. Um, going to somewhere like Norway or Denmark for a, a, a six months or something might be the perfect way to toughen them up and see if they've got it physically to play at a first team level. Because, you know, if you can handle playing for, you know, for example, Bronby or Rosenberg or something like that, uh, I think you can probably handle the average Scottish Premier League game. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's an option that, that's not really been discussed, but I think could well happen. Um, the strikers thing, I think if Jack Amakis goes, we're still fine because we have three strikers. We have Kyogo, we have O, and we have Maeda, Right? People seem to keep forgetting. Maeda is a striker being played out of position the way he plays for Celtic. Right? He was a striker at Yamaga. He was a striker at Yokohama. He is still a striker centre-forward for the Japanese national team. And that is why he went to the World Cup and Kyogo didn't. For all I think, Kyogo overall is probably a better player. Maeda's more effective through the middle, um, certainly for the Japanese national team. Um 
if not probably not for Celtic, but through, for the Celtic, for the Japanese national team, Maeda is the more effective goal scorer. So um, there's a reason why most of the hype before the World Cup was around him rather than Kyogo. And I think having three strikers is perfectly fine. And remember, in the past, Abada has done it. James Forrest has done it. Haksabanovic did it at his previous club and also, I think, for his national team before he's played as a striker. So you've actually got three full-time strikers and another three who can potentially deputise. I mean, James Forrest scored a, scored a hat-trick for Scotland once when we played him up front, if you remember. Right? He's shown that he can do it at the top level. So, now I think if Jack Amakis goes, we are fine as we are right now. I'm inclined to agree, actually. I, I, I prefer Maeda through the middle to, to outwide, as I've said in the past. But, James, in terms of players going out, I know Connor Hazel's back with the club. He's been linked to another loan move to, to Ross County, I believe. Um, Welsh is still a question mark. Apparently, there's still clubs circling around Welsh. Um, if Welsh was to go, surely we have to then bring in another centre-half. What do you think? Uh, I'm not 100% sure. I think it would be a bit too late for Celtic to tout up and then sign a centre-back unless we've got some in the backlog. But I think having sort of Boson Lau around there, him getting his first-team chance a few weeks ago shows there is trust in him. And we do rate him very highly. We see a future for him at the club. So I'm not sure there's going to be a bit of an urgency to sign a centre-back at the current moment if Stephen Welsh goes. But I, I would rather Welsh... The team he's been linked with now is Sheffield Wednesday, who I believe are in the English League One. I think Stephen Welsh... He's a backup player here, but I think he can do better than the English League One, considering in the summer he was getting linked with Ligue 1 Toulouse, and this time last year he was getting linked with Udinese and Serie A. So if those are the clubs he's been previously linked with, his standards haven't dropped massively since then. So I think he, he could do with a bigger move than that. But if it's sort of regular first-team football we're looking for to get, then fair enough. Just on other outgoings, there's just Yakimakis. I'm expecting today, perhaps in the evening, to coincide with the sort of the American time zones. But apart from that, there's sort of nothing really major. I think that my concern would be if Welsh goes that only leaves us Starfield, Kobayashi, and Carter Vickers. You know, we talk about only having three strikers for one position, we can't possibly three centre backs for two positions. So I'm, I'm slightly concerned at that, although I suspect if it does go there'll be someone else coming in. Um, obviously, the guys like Idiguchi, Abogard, who we spoke about, might be leaving. But, Lawrence, I want to ask you about a guy who, who is at the club and who is a fairly new signing, but has been absolutely in excellent form for a large part of the season, Aaron Moy. Um, I know initially a lot of people were sceptical when he first came in. Uh, what was your take on it initially? Has, it, has your mind changed and, and how do you see him fitting into the team? Is he here for the rest of the season? Is it going to be hard to displace? You know, I think it's now McGregor and him in midfield. You know, before it was Carlin and two, I think it's now McGregor and Moy. Initially, when he came in, I, I was lucky kind of doing a sign was down at Peter Scarf Club down in Linwood. And Chris Sutton was speaking, he's like, he's a five, six million pound player for free. <laughs> you know, Ange knows him, he knows how he plays. What's not I like about this? He's a known quantity to the manager. It's worth five or six million you're getting for free. So I think he's coming in as a squad player and Noange is very fair with the players, you know, he gives you your chance and it's up to you to take it. And, you know, he's definitely taking it, you know, and, and I think he's he's nailed down that second place in mid, midfield, which, you know, puts kind of Hitati, Turnbull, O'Reilly really under pressure right, to, to get in third place. So, yeah, I, I just think Moy's been cracking for us, you know, and he's really starting to con control games and, and run them. From midfield, which you know, it's what you'd expect for someone of his age and experience. Yeah, another signing that luckily has worked out for Ange, isn't it? I know, I know. He's, a, he's a, a, the luck never stops. He wants to put on the lottery. The interesting thing with Aaron Moy, it always feels like that's the example of shut up and trust in Ange, isn't it? Because people were questioning, and then look up now. Um, everyone that watches the show knows that I love Matt O'Reilly. I think longer term, he's got an insane amount of potential and you know Justin Flyby is not getting near the team now because Aaron Moy's there I mean what was your take on it um, obviously he's, he's 29 now but pace is never really his game anyway do you see him 
you know, being the, the first choice midfielder for the next while? It's his place to lose at the moment. Um, you know, six weeks ago we were saying the same thing about O'Reilly. Then O'Reilly had a wee dip in form and Aaron Moy has taken his chance. It's going to be that way from now on because we are a squad where if, you know, if if O'Reilly or Moy switch places, if Iwata comes in for either of them, if Kobayashi comes in for either Carter Vickers or Starfelt, it's not the massive drop in quality that it would have been a year or two ago when, you know, you have you know, you end up having to play Callum McGregor at left back, right? It's not those days are behind us now. This is a squad game and we have got a good eighteen to twenty players who are all would walk into any first team elsewhere in Scotland. So it's absolutely um it's it's just the it's the way a, a club should be run. It's the way a club of Celtic size should always have been run. But it's only really since Ange came in that we have really taken this whole squad game to a new level, I think. Yeah, uh, it's hard to, hard to disagree with that. Um, one other midfielder I just want to talk about before we finish up for today, and I'll come to you first, James. Callum McGregor, um, he's been absolutely sensational again. Since he's been captain, he's stepped up. I'll admit, well, I've always loved him as a player. I wasn't sure how what kind of captain he would be, how he would go about things, you know, but he's, he's took bull by the horns, 400 appearances. Um, you've got Scott Brown, 619. Uh, Billy McNeil, 787. Now, he's probably unlikely to, to capture Caesar's appearances, but James, can he overtake Browns? And where does he stand in the great captains in Celtic history, in your opinion? Well, I've not really got the best knowledge of Celtic captains, as Scott Brown was my captain for the entirety of, sort of my early childhood. But Cal McGregor is near known. 10 years now, I think, as a sort of first-team player at Celtic. And he's, I think ever since Brendan Rodgers came in, Cal McGregor, he really sort of improved and stepped up his game. And there's a reason he was the far and away choice to become the new Celtic captain when Scott Brown left. And he's he's really shown that. You can see how he's taken over from the team talks and the huddle and just the way he conducts himself on the park. You can tell a lot of players... When you've got a captain, you need someone you can sort of lean on, you can rely on someone that you, when the going gets tough, this is the player that will step up. And Cal McGregor's shown time and time again that he does that. That's what he does in that Celtic shirt. And I think he, he could get close to Scott Brown's tally. As we've said, he's been playing so many games every season for so long. The only thing that I could see stopping him from getting close to Scott Brown is if another injury creeps up that keeps him out for a while, which Touchwood isn't going to happen, but he'll go down as a Celtic legend if he isn't already, no doubt. Absolutely agree with that. It's hard to argue, Lawrence. What's your thoughts on, on Callum McGregor? Not just as captain, but just in general as a player. Listen, as a captain, well, as captain, it's just right at the start of his, his time, isn't it? You know, as a player, he's one of those guys that just never lets his standards drop. It seems to be season and season, he just improves. You know, Great ambassador for the club. The, the players all speak highly of him. So, you know, anything you may have supposed to do or whatever, plenty of time to speak to everyone. So, you know, really personal guy with high standards. And I think we anxious his manager. That could be, you know, it, it's a, it feels like the start of something special, doesn't it? You know, I think Callum is going to. You know, as a player, he's already got you know a litany of honours. He's only going to add to name as captain, and he's, I think he's going to be a captain known of a really special Celtic team. And I think it was Liam that said, you know, Angie's teams get better kind of year two onwards. So I think Callum is uh, hopefully going to do something in Europe next year, mate. That's the I suppose his dream and her dream, you know, to go further to make a mark in Europe. You know, it seems like that's Andy's sort of focus as well, isn't it? Um, Liam, just just quickly for you, just conscious of time, Callum McGregor, mm. is he actually is he underrated? I think he is. I think despite he pays, he's still an underrated player. What's your sort of overall view of Callum McGregor, the player? He is. He's. I think the Celtic support now realise how good he is, but I think outside of us, he is undervalued because he's not had as many Scotland caps as he should have, which historically is an issue. If you look going right back to the likes of Billy McNeil and Jimmy Johnson, you know, 
guys that should have had a hundred caps each for Scotland and never even get near that. Um, you know, uh, but it's it's great because he's he's one of us. You know, it's great that that we still have even in this day and age we're bringing in so many superb players from all around the world that our captain is a, a, a boy who is a Celtic supporter who has become a man who is now leading the club. And that is a great tradition that we can be very, very proud of and long may it continue. Fantastic. Well, that's an excellent words to end on. Uh, we spoke about Celtic legends and we're going to be meeting a few of them soon at Gracie's. We've got Tom Boyd coming up and then Danny McGrain as well. So keep keep posted for that. We'll hope to see as many of you there as possible. Uh, it's always great to hear a few guys in the comments and it'd be lovely to speak to you some of you in person. Lawrence, Liam, James, what an absolute pleasure. What a great way to spend a Tuesday afternoon. Thanks very much, and I'll see you all soon. Take care. and data rates may apply. Guys, got hair loss? I know what you're thinking. Should I shave my head, comb it over, wear a hat? Just stop. This is in 1970. Keep your hair and your confidence because Bosley, America's number one hair restoration experts, can give you your real hair back permanently. Check them out today because they're giving away an absolutely free information kit and a free gift card to anyone that texts EASY to 203203. Dude, you don't have to look like your dad because this isn't your dad's hair loss treatment. People all over the country trust Bosley because they're ahead of the curve. They use the latest technology to give you your real hair back. And the best part? Bosley's permanent solution is protected by the Bosley Guarantee. Let Bosley show you for free how awesome your hair could look with an absolutely free information kit and a gift card for $250 off. Text EASY to 203203. That's B-A-S-Y to 203203. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet but if their internet comes from a cell phone network you should know it's just phone internet not home internet keep your home up to speed with cox cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5g home internet cox is the real home internet you're looking for Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data q3 2022 and cox serviceable areas visit cox.com internet for details Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Network.